0: I didn't
1: care about learning else, we partying. I should be doing horror
0: film music. Yeah, like Could not vi få everyone's
1: oss det här? Why are you getting that pressure? I like of concept. It's
0: exciting, it's fresh, it's different. The, purists, the purists, purists hated it. It's
2: really
0: strange. I tried working for the man, but well, fuck it, you know? Whatever
2: makes you feel good, go with
0: it. Old to the
1: new. A flavour from the old, so you don't scare people, but with, but with the future sounds. <laughs> Paul Rose är ständigt på språng. Musikaliskt, svårfångad men fokuserad och nyfiken på det oväntade. Mindre intresserad av att förvalta och skörda framgångar. Ändå firar hans skivbolag Hot Flash Recordings 20 år. Själv är han mer känd under namnet Scuba.
3: Like I've made by you know, changing from deep dubstep stuff to house and techno and you know, being going a little bit too house went really pissed off the techno guys and like
1: you know it's just but it's just who i am Paul Rose ar London Killen som var med om när dubstepen föddes och piratradion bidrog till spridandet och hypen brytpunkten är drum and bass uk garage och dubb influencer blev till något alldeles eget Artister som Joy Orbison, George FitzGerald, Mount Kimby, Toasty Distance och Sepal har Hot Flash som språngbräda. Men framförallt är det en plats för musik som utmanar och en plattform för Pauls aka Scubas egen musik. När det gäller åsikter är det här också en man som inte tvekar att tycka till.
3: I think that the, the 2010s with the worst decade of music since the Second World War.
1: Musik och Dernulf med Skuba och historien om hotflash recordings. Skuba, very welcome to uh, Musik och danulf.
3: Thank you, nice to be here, thanks for asking me on. So how are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm very well, thank you. I'm just in the middle of uh, a Hot Flush 20th anniversary campaign of stuff. So we've been doing shows and releasing compilations and making new releases. And it's all been very busy, but it's been a lot of fun
1: too. So yeah, it's all good at the moment so hot flush 20 years uh, congrats but what happened <laughs> well <laughs> i
3: mean that's something that i've been asking myself a lot <laughs> recently yeah so we started in 2003 and suddenly it's it's here right and i'm not quite sure how it happens to be honest but here we are
1: Bolaget Hot Flash har blivit kända för utgivningar med artister som Dens och Pika, Orla, Paul Wolford och Alan Fitzpatrick. Och så rymmer även katalogen Jimmy Edgar, Benga, Mind Against, Recondite och Anfisa Letiago. Ja bredden är stor med andra ord och nu när Skoba bestämde sig för att ta tag i 20 års jubileet så var det en rejäl katalog av musik att gå igenom. Yeah, I mean
3: we've got an enormous catalog. I mean there's like a thousand tracks or something or more than that. So there were definitely things that I've forgotten about and things which, you know, maybe, you know, make more sense now than they did then. Certainly something of the the more like left field Dubstep stuff and the, I guess, what was called uh, break step back in those days. And you know, people would use that term in a slightly pejorative way. Um, that kind of stuff, I think, really makes sense now. And, you know, there are people who, uh, you know, younger people who'd never heard that stuff who, who are like, wow. I mean, like, for example, like the toasty stuff, um, some of the early distance stuff really resonates with people now. And they think it's new, you know? And, I guess that's a testament to how good the music was at the time. But also, you know, it didn't quite fit. A lot of the stuff we released doesn't quite fit at at the moment it's released. And it's nice for it to get a kind of new lease of life, if you know what I mean. And, you know, some of my stuff is is similar like that, you know. And it's kind of gratifying, you know, because when I think about the catalogue, it's really my life's work, that catalogue. It's like 20 years of picking music and, and releasing it and you know looking back and kind of like digging through it is you know there was almost everything I'm like yeah fuck yeah this is great there's one or two I'm like "Mm, maybe maybe you should have uh, (laughs) left that one on one side but those things are very much the exception rather than the rule
1: So what was your upbringing in North London like? Well,
3: I I've said so. I've said that so, I'm quintessentially middle class Brit. That's that's who I am. I make no apology for that. <laughs> um, it's not something that I'm. Uh, well, I put it this way. I feel slightly uncomfortable ab- among middle class Brits, but I am absolutely cut from that cloth. So I yeah. I mean, I you know, I grew up in North London. I had a very typical middle class upbringing. I learnt musical instruments, you know, from a very young age. I had a mother who was very keen on me having a broad education. So I benefited uh, from, yeah, doing, learning the piano and then eventually learning guitar and just having the kind of, I guess the arts were seen as being a a very important part of education as I was growing up. And um, I guess that's where ultimately what I do now Comes from originally, but I mean, I didn't see it like that at the time. Of course, I mean, as as a kid, you rebel against whatever is presented to you, or at least I did. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy music when I was younger. I mean, the the kind of light bulb moment for me was when I was able to pick up an electric guitar, and that suddenly seemed like it was something that was cool, and that I could immediately sort of jam around on without having to be taught explicitly what I was doing and so sort of from that point on it was just obvious to me that music was something that I had to do whether it was going to be uh you know something that I was going to make a living out of or not it was something that I just you know something that I really uh revived off for want of a better term um and I guess I've been doing that basically ever since so
1: yeah And I know you, just like me, had to play the trumpet uh, as well. Did you find any 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 place in life for the trumpet? You know what? I haven't picked up
3: a trumpet since I stopped having lessons, which was when I was mm, thirteen or something. In fact, I think I picked it up once and couldn't get a sound out of it. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, I unfortunately didn't. Really have much of a relationship with that particular instrument, which is a, which is a shame actually, because it's a, it's a great thing, it's a, it's a great sound. The trumpet, you know, it's um, notwithstanding the uh EDM DJ who makes it his business to um. Put it on records and play it live. Let's let's not talk about that. But um, you know, I think you know muted trumpet and the, the sound of trumpet in you know certain jazz records is, is amazing. So I'm kind of a little bit gutted that I am completely unable to uh, to make a sound with a with a trumpet these days. But yeah, I mean, I, it certainly didn't make it through to any like any performance stuff that I did I mean I played in bands uh, from, from pretty early on but only after I was able to play guitar and play bass guitar you know so that's those, those are the only things that I've really ever played on stage um, which I guess was your question but no it's, it's a shame I do have some regrets with regards to the trumpet <laughs>
1: Rose har givit ut åtta album under namn som Scuba, SCB och sitt eget då Paul Rose. Och stilmässigt är det lika brett som Hot Flash har blivit både älskade och avskydda för. Under pandemin hittade han ytterligare ett rum för sitt skapande och gav ut ett album tillsammans med sångaren Domini. Ett album som snarare är att klassas som pop. Som för att visa alla att han fortsatt är hungrig och inte låter sig begränsas. Hans musikerande ungdom kom lite till ett stopp och nya idéer tog fart i och med upptäckten av radio och all ny musik som strömmade fram. Storbritannien har sedan tidigt 60-tal haft en mängd piratradiostationer. Det trots att myndigheterna kontinuerligt lagt till fler frekvenser och försökt bekämpa illegala stationer.
3: Så so nu the Raven crew, är du redo för Är för att Rodeep crew Max carnage. Big up, Wiley. Oh.
1: Piratradio stationer har varit en viktig faktor i den musikaliska utvecklingen och spridandet av till exempel soul, reggae, socka och senare under 80- och 90-talet genrer som house, jungle, & bass och brittisk garage. 2010 så räknade myndigheterna med att det fanns cirka 150 piratradio stationer bara i London. Idag är siffran lägre, men stationer finns fortfarande. Men de spelar en mindre roll i det nya medieklimatet.
3: Easy Mr. Paul, how you doing mate? Long time. Hey, this one hot off the press. Check it out on November dub. When I was a I guess a sort of adolescent and getting interested in in that kind of stuff like it was the kind of early jungle scene the late hardcore scene early jungle scene and that stuff was just all over pirate radio. So that was the way you like were able to hear that music. I mean it was either a case of like going to a record shop and buying a tape pack from a rave that was a big thing as well. If you weren't able to buy records if you weren't buying records like you'd buy tape packs and alternative to that you would listen to pirate basically. So that was just a huge like a touch point for anyone who is kind of getting into that kind of music or getting to that kind of scene in London. And it still is now, to be fair. But I mean, certainly in, in the kind of mid-90s, uh, which is the period that I'm talking about, um, that was a huge thing. And, you know, it's just an obvious sort of point of aspiration to want to eventually play on those stations, right? So, I mean, I eventually started playing on I played on a couple of smaller ones but eventually got a show on Rince FM when Rince was still a pirate back in it was around the same time we started the label so it would have been I guess 2002 I think that, that I first started playing on Rince and had the show for I guess five, five years maybe initially and um, when I was playing on Rinse, it was like you know, Garage was sort of pe- beginning to peter out, and Grime and Dubstep were the two things which were really beginning to catch on with people who, you know, had their ear to the ground. And you know, when I moved, when I joined Rinse, it was part of the, um, it was part of them trying to embrace this kind of nascent Dubstep scene, basically, which I was sort of, I was basically a part of, and. Um, so that was what they were doing, and you know, it was it was just a it was the obvious thing to do. And I was extremely happy, by the way, when I got on Rents. It was like you know, it was it was a the fulfilment of of an ambition, really. So it was it was I saw that as being an extremely uh, important sort of milestone in my uh, you know my what I considered to be my journey in becoming someone who was actually doing this stuff seriously. You know, like getting your first proper pirate show. That's a—it's not an end in itself, but it's a very important step on the path.
1: på väl fick börja göra Piratradio så var det en dröm som gick i uppfyllelse. Redan här var det tydligt att han var snabb i sitt sätt att välja musik och att han låg långt framme och hela tiden ville skapa något nytt dubstep, breakbeat och garage är grunden som Flash stod på i starten för 20 år sedan. När bolaget startades så pratade man inte direkt om termen dubstep utan man pratade om the forward sound, musik som spelades på klubbkvällen forward på stället plastic people. Och på precis samma sätt myntades termen house under 80-talet i Chicago då musiken som spelades av bland annat Frankie Knuckles fick namnet house efter klubben. The Warehouse. I London var mixen av grime, breakbeat, garage med dubbinfluenser det som slutligen skapade något nytt. Pauls fem år på Rins FM, när de fortfarande var en station formade honom och han var med om att skapa sig ett namn samtidigt som han började fundera på att dra igång skivbolag. Perioden mitten av 90-talet och tio år framåt var en Oerhört explosiv tid för musikutvecklingen på de brittiska öarna, men framförallt London. Här hade Jungle-scenen fått fart och hittat form som en del av breakbeat och hardcore. Nu blev det plötsligt housemusiken som fick uppleva en förnyelse. Den vokala housemusiken i USA, kallad Garage, fick sig en uppspidad genomgång med större fokus på bas. In London, heard UK garage plus with It just took over immediately. I mean, it didn't make total sense
3: to me. Like the first time I heard it, it took me a little while, a few years. I mean, I had a very, I had very wide tastes during that period. So I was very into, well, I mentioned hardcore and drum and bass, but I was also very into techno. And there was actually a couple of radio shows on. Kiss FM, which wasn't a pirate at that point, which were really influential on I me, mean, which I didn't mention. So that was Colin Dale's show and Colin Favers' show. And they were, those were on Tuesday and Thursday nights, like 9 to 11 sort of time. Maybe, yeah, it would have been 9 to 11. And those shows really introduced me to techno. And I remember hearing, you know, stuff like Red Planet and Underground Resistance and that kind of stuff. And also like UK techno and European techno on on those shows. But yeah, Garage was... Um, Something which, I mean, it, I mean, I, I kind of got it in terms of I understood, I think, why it was popular, but it was just not something which dragged me away from drum and bass initially. And it was only kind of later on, maybe in '98 or '99, that I really began to what well, that I began to kind of engage with it and to the extent of buying records and and you know DJing with it. And eventually that's what turned into dubstep. But I mean, like I said, it, it didn't immediately connect with me. But it was just a huge cultural phenomenon in London in the late 90s. It's difficult to overstate how much of an impact that it made.
2: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: Vad är det som gör att vissa ställen blir kreativa hubbar och påverkar utvecklingen och drar till sig människor som dels vill vara med om något men som också själva kan bidra. London är en speciell plats som sedan 60-talet spelat en betydande roll för musikalisk utveckling inom många olika stilar. Pop, punk, soul, reggae, dub, acid jazz, breakbeat, hardcore, jungle och så vidare. Kombinationen av kulturell mångfald med radiostationer, små klubbar och en befolkning med förgreningar från världens alla hörn. Delvis beroende på det brittiska imperiets tidigare koloniala styre. Det har ju bidragit till att staden fortsätter utforska nya stilar. London just seems to
3: have that attitudes, I guess. And it's just, uh, I guess it's just part of the culture. And it's really difficult to, you know, it's that's that sort of thing endures, you know, in some sense, it's kind of passed along to people who kind of come in and out of, of the music scene. And it's, it's difficult to replicate that, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time, I lived in Berlin for many years, and Berlin's a great music town, but it doesn't have anything like the same attitude towards new music that London has and you know I can't think of many other places you know that come close to it like I said New York is probably uh, worth mentioning but I mean there aren't too many more like that uh, the kind of conveyor belt of new musical styles and genres has come to a halt a little bit but I don't get the sense that there's any less hunger in the London music scene for new stuff you know that the appetite for new sounds is still there I think and there's like I said not many places like it
1: So if if we just go back um, 20 years, when you were actually on on Rinse FM and uh, uh, you decided to um, to sort of progress in a way uh, and start your own label, what what went through your head at the time?
3: Well, just the idea of running a record label appealed to me. Like I loved uh, buying a CD and seeing the logo on the back of the CD and just thinking about that whole... um, I guess, ecosystem, you know, in a very romanticised kind of a way. You know, I remember you know, looking at the Atlantic Records logo or the Island Records logo or whatever and just thinking it was the coolest thing ever. And so, like, just being involved in that kind of thing in any kind of a way was was just really appealing to me. Um, And, you know, I wanted... I think like the aspiration to release my own stuff was really secondary. I mean the first release on hot flush was were my tracks, but that was only because you know <laughs> we couldn't persuade anyone else to release but be the first release on our label, which is completely understandable because I mean who the fuck were we, and you know what was our expertise like zero so it was the the reason that we uh released the första first release when we did was it was just the, basically the first two tracks that I'd made which were worthy of a release basically because i mean the, the idea to have a label predated that by at least a couple of years
1: fascinationen för skivbolag och speciellt några legendariska fick honom att drömma om att starta eget Hospital Records, skivbolaget som startades 1996 av duon bakom London Electricity, gav Paul inspiration. Både designen, paketeringen och framförallt deras breda förhållningssätt till vad som gavs ut blev till en grund för Hot Flash Recordings och hur han byggde bolaget. Hospital Records startade som ett renodlat drum and bass-bolag men visade snabbt att man var öppen för att folk skulle få fritt kreativt spelrum. Och det innebar att bolaget delvis speglade det som pågick på Londons klubbar. Hot Flash Recordings startade 2003 med tanken att följa med i tiden och inte vara rädd för att våga ta ut svängarna och satsa på sånt som andra inte gjorde.
3: Well, the output of the label really just reflects what I'm into at any given time, and to a greater or lesser extent, that is that uh, reflects what I'm doing as a DJ at that point. Um, I mean, it's important to it's important to note that I've never really chased hits. That's that's never really been my A and R strategy. I mean, of course, I want to release tunes which are successful, but I'm not when I'm thinking about a tune for the label, like my immediate my immediate priority isn't, is this going to be like a, you know, is, is this going to translate to Radio 1? Is this going to be the most played club track of the summer? Is this going to smash it at festivals? I mean, sometimes those things line up with what else I have in mind for the, you know, for, for why I'm looking to sign a track. But for, for the most part, they don't. So I'm really interested in the development of people as musicians and I try in my A&R strategy and my, the way I you know, interact with, with new artists, I try to be supportive of that and try and have that kind of in my mind. I mean, it's not always successful and it's a kind of process and you know, some people it works really well, some other people it doesn't. That stuff is really what, uh, what I enjoy the most about running a label and that's what really motivates me to keep doing it after 20 years so like you know I really you know if I find someone who's a you know 20 year old kid who's like made a few tracks or, but who's you know I can I get the impression is gonna has it in them to make amazing music is making music which is great but you know, there's obviously a couple of steps more for them to go that's what really excites me
1: Paul har idéer och åsikter om många saker och när det gäller musik så vet alla som följer skivbolaget att han inte tvekar att diskutera eller byta musikalisk riktning när han känner att utvecklingen står still. När det gäller hur det låter idag är han aningen mer positiv än hur det lät för några år sedan det är betydligt mycket svårare att slå igenom idag och det krävs mer för att en artist ska upplevas som unik och kunna skapa något speciellt men Paul tvekar inte när det gäller att utnämna det värsta årtiondet sen andra världskriget
3: I think that the the 2010s were the worst decade of music since the second world war like in terms of the variety and quality the, of stuff that was come out, which is it's a bit of a paradox because more music was released during that records, you know, by a you know orders of magnitude than any previous decade because of the ability to release release music digitally and because of the emergence of streaming platforms and all the rest of it. But I just don't see like the like the innovation for want of a better term or like the the emergence of of artists who are able to kind of transcend like societal barriers, you know, I just don't think those are there to the same extent they are anymore. And there's there's different reasons for that. I mean, the fragmentation of culture overall is something which has affected the ability of people to um, have genuinely wide appeal. But I, you know, even even putting that aspect to one side, I just don't think it's what it was. Even when I look at the 1940s or 1950s, you know, like the genuine steps forward, and then. You know, the subsequent decades are just 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. So just a catalogue of just incredible music, which endures now. And I think partly you can observe that in how popular that music is today on streaming platforms. You know, catalogue music accounts for the vast majority of music that is played via these platforms. It's not new music. So, yeah, I should probably stop moaning about this. But uh, yeah, that's where I am with it.
1: Precis när Dubstep började göra ett litet segertåg genom världen då fanns ett gyllene tillfälle för scuba och hotflash att börja tjäna pengar och få ekonomisk utdelning. Istället gick Paul ut och tog heder och ära av scenen och sa att allt var uselt. Och så skiftade han själv musikaliskt fokus. Ett kreativt beslut som han kände var viktigt och klokt men som kanske inte var riktigt lika bra ekonomiskt. Som ett led i firandet av hotflash 20 år på marknaden så blir det hela fyra samlingar. Milstolparna, hotflash origins. Och sen spåren som ligger så där lite mellan genrer, post-what-step. Och så bolagets euforiska ögonblick, sidewalk euphoria. Och den där intressanta musiken som inte riktigt låter sig beskrivas concrete contradictions. Jag frågan har kommit upp om vad det är som ligger bakom hans vilja att gå vidare musikaliskt precis när andra börjar haka på och förstå grejen. Är det så enkelt att han alldeles för lätt blir uttråkad?
3: Um, I always used to think that. I used to that was something that was the kind of line that I would often use in interviews to explain why we would move around musically I mean I'm not sure if that's quite the right way of putting it but when I certainly I get to a point where I want to do I get to a point where I feel like I've exhausted one area and I want to try something new I'm not quite sure if that's the same as being bored easily but I definitely have the kind of i get I have the of outlook that um when i feel like something is done or when i've said what i wanted to say with a certain uh certain message then i feel like well then the obvious thing is to say something else right which does seem obvious but unfortunately i mean in music you are rewarded for saying the same thing repeatedly and you know the biggest bands in the world are remarkably consistent, generally remarkably consistent in what their music sounds like. I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, U2, for example. You know, they had their kind of experimental period in the 90s, but r- pretty quickly moved back to what might be seen as a kind of classic U2 sound because it just made commercial sense to do that. I mean, Metallica is another example of this. Like, you know, they're very, you know, People want to hear stuff that sounds like Master of Puppets, you know. Like even the Black album isn't really you know, the most commercially successful one. Like the, the kind of stuff that people really resonate with um, is the thrash stuff, the classic stuff. And so that's what they do now. That's what they, that's what they're doing again. Um, with with me, like I find it very difficult to do that, and I've probably suffered as a result. In terms of you know losing parts of my or you know, the label's fan base as we've gone along as we've kind of chopped and changed with the music, but there's nothing I can do about that. You know, like I said, I've got no oversight here. Like I'm, this is basically just me. Um, but I think it's a bit much for some people. You know, def, def, I've really pissed a lot of people off by changing music policy. Like I've made people very angry by you know changing from deep dubstep stuff to house and techno and you know being going a little bit too house i'm really pissed off the techno guys and like you know it's just but it's just who i am you know and i can't do anything about it so yeah
1: Paul har många gånger hamnat i diskussioner och postat saker på Twitter om kolleger som fått folk att bli irriterade. Han har postat saker om dystopiska scenarier som visade sig vara material från en kommande EP till åsikter om feminism. Idag har han förstått Att vara lite mer försiktig på sociala medier och framförallt sätta sina åsikter och teorier i en kontext som i hans fall är den egna podden. Not the Diving Podcast fokuserar bland annat på den kreativa processen som artister står inför. Den är också ett bättre sätt att fortsätta diskutera saker där sociala medier blir alldeles för ensidigt och det blir bara stora rubriker. Här kan man föra en mer nyanserad diskussion
3: uh, well, okay, okay, so I think the problem was that, like, during the period that you're talking about, was essentially when uh, social media was developing into what it is now, right? And it was becoming ubiquitous, but it wasn't ubiquitous yet, and people were much more, I think, free about how they express themselves and were much less uh, fearful about the reaction to certain methods of <laughs> communications. So we say, um. And I, I guess so that that there's, there is an element of that to it. But also, I do feel that you know, if you think something, you should say it. I mean, by all means, think about how you're going to say it and think about the, the consequences of saying it. And probably, I didn't do that enough in certain respects and in certain instances. And certainly, there've been there've been episodes where things have got very bad, <laughs> and like you know, the kind of. Uh, well, the, the, <laughs> the kind of sword of Damocles of cancellation has um, been above my head more than once. Luckily, it's never fully fallen. But I, I just feel like, you know, just say what you think. And I mean, I don't know why. Well, I do know why people don't do it. It's because they're scared of the consequences. But I think the, the benefit of doing long form stuff I mean particularly I mentioned the podcast a few times but like I've said things on the podcast which if I'd said on Twitter would have been really inflammatory but if you say them in the context of a wider message and you, you are able to put them in context and, and caveat and, and all the rest of it people realise that you know actually this isn't the sound bite which is designed to piss everyone off that it looks like when you post it on Twitter Right. So I think a lot of it was to do with the medium. I think a lot of people's anger towards me was to do with the medium rather than what I was actually saying, frankly. But, you know, it is what it is.
1: Skuba er nu aktuel med en mängd ny musik. Det dyker upp samarbeten med Nick Nair, Roska Distance och Reckondite. Och senare under året så kommer ett nytt album från honom. Men nu finns det fyra olika samlingar att dyka ned i för den som vill ha en musikalisk bredd. Scuba finns på Spotify och du hittar då alla hotflash-samlingarna. Du har hört Musikkodärnulf med Skuba om hot Flash recordings. Supporta gärna podden genom att bli Patreon för att få ut mer musik och ett längre avsnitt. Tack för att du har lyssnat. Vi hörs.